So speak your strength, listeners. It's Paul and I'm back with episode two of the podcast. This episode isn't about me. It isn't about my story. Instead, I'm going to call up Leo and Leo is going to share his story with you. He's going to speak his strength. Now, a little bit of a backstory. Leo reached out to me a couple of months ago. He shared a little bit about his story and truly it inspired me. The dark times, the adversity, the challenges that he's had to go through, but more importantly, how he's managed to handle it, how he's managed to deal with it. So I wanted to give him a call and get him to share that story with you and also explain how he's managed to overcome it. I also want to just say at the beginning of this podcast, if you're listening to this right now in the gym, working out, going to bed, at work, driving to work, wherever you're listening to this, I truly appreciate you listening and appreciate your attention. And I would love to say, if you do enjoy this episode at the end, a rating and a review on iTunes, would I would truly appreciate it. It's going to help me get this word out there. It's going to help more people listen to this podcast, join the conversation around mental health and hopefully get more people speaking their strength. So let me call up Leo. So Leo, how are you? Hey, Paul. Good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, good, good. It's good to see you. So yeah, let's just dive straight in because you've you've explained a little bit of your story to me already. Um, sure. And I'd, lo- I'd love to hear, you know, a bit more and also kind of give you this platform to explain your story. So try and go back to some of, I know it's hard, a weird place to start, but some of the darkest times. And we'll talk about then obviously how you overcame them as well. Yeah, it's... Oh yeah, start at the dark and go and go towards the light, but not That's too it. quickly. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so if I start right at the beginning, um, I think I've had trauma in my life all my life, and I've never really realised it. I think that was one of my big realisations. But I think my first real trauma that I blocked out of my memory for many years was being sexually abused when I was about five, and um, I don't, I didn't remember it actually until much much later I blocked out everything in my memory from before the age of eight I couldn't remember anything and my my parents used to laugh because they they took me to Disney World and all this kind of stuff and you know they're always like we should just put you in front of the television Mm. because you can't remember anything but nobody ever thought to ask why and um, it was my child's brain's way of coping with a situation that I didn't understand at that age, you know, that this girl had decided to use power on me to, you know, put me in a situation that I didn't understand or know how to cope with. And um, it had a really big impact on me. I, I really didn't trust people for a very long time. I didn't like enclosed spaces because she locked me in a, in a small shed uh, to, to abuse me. And uh, it, it was very strange. And there was a lot of these things that I couldn't explain until later on um, and so you know but I was lucky enough in some ways to block it out because it didn't linger with me um, you know, through my adolescence um, where I, I met my, my next round of traumas <laughs> with um, being um, physically and uh, mentally and once again sexually abused as a teenager in a different way this time uh, being the only out gay man okay boy I suppose teenager in a very small country school so there was only 700 pupils at this high school so you can imagine how quickly information gets passed around and um, unfortunately at the time I was the only person who was out at school and with it being the early 90s 
you know, teachers weren't equipped or used to having to deal with that kind of thing. So, you know, I was kicked and punched and had people throw stones at me, spat on, shouted at, you know, every day and for, for six years at school. And it kind of culminated in, in being beaten with an iron bar and um, then also it kind of came to a head with an attempted murder uh, on my life and my best friend at the time was was, was they tried to rape her in, a, in an attempt to you know remove the gay from her and um, because she'd been spending far too much time with me so I came out of high school with a very twisted view of reality and what people are like and and very vulnerable I would say very paranoid I suppose about you know people I'd see particularly even now I still see groups of teenage lads on the street and I, I have to cross the street I can't can't deal with that it, it's too threatening and I think I was just lucky enough to have have an attitude of I can't let them win and so kind of decided and I was again lucky enough to be born with enough intelligence to be able to pass my school exams and just worked my way through it with the aim of getting to university and sort of starting a new life and uh, I was lucky enough to succeed in that and um, started a, a great career but even then I didn't realize these things were traumas they were just my life it was just things that happened and it wasn't until last year that I had a huge mental health crisis and complete, completely shut down. I, I just couldn't function. And it had just been from work pressure. I just got too much. And so I was you know, diagnosed with stress and anxiety and treated for that. But nobody actually thought to dig as to why I had this strange reaction. And it wasn't until I actually relapsed for the second time and came close to suicide that I was put in touch with a therapist who actually had a clinical background and she asked me my first interview with her do you have any traumas you know she's going through the list of things you know grief trauma stress you know do you have any traumas in your past no 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 trauma no no nothing and she asked me to describe things that had happened to me in my past and she nearly fell off her chair saying what do you mean you've no traumas these are all traumas you know and you're you're clearly suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and we need to deal with the trauma before you can be free of the symptoms. So I know it's a very long answer, but that's sort of my experience of trauma and mental health in a nutshell. And I was lucky enough to, to meet a, a therapist who, who could see what was really going on rather than just treating the symptoms of you know depression and anxiety and assuming it was work related which i think a lot of people do and um, when in fact that was just a reaction to a situation mm. wow. wow so i mean I, I don't know where to start i mean you know you've told me a little bit about that story before and it kind of you know hit me then and then just hearing it again in more detail hits me further and, I, and you know first firstly you said you blocked it out a lot how mm. how do you looking back at it now how how would you say that you blocked it out was there certain coping methods that you use was it like work hard get your head down try and almost believe that it doesn't exist was that how you kind of blocked it out yeah i mean i think as a very small child it was literally i had no memory of it i mean even now when i try to think back beyond 
before the age of eight, there's just blackness in places. It's like this black curtain. I can't describe it. It's just like a blank TV screen. You just can't see anything. And then you get flashes of things. And thankfully, some of those nicer memories are coming back as well. So, you know, that it, it was a very physical thing then. But as a teenager, you know, going through what I was going through then, I think I, I had to develop a very thick skin and I hid behind various masks. Um, you know, I, I as most people I do, to, you know. Yeah, you have to, don't mm. you? Have to find some way of coping, and I couldn't let them see they were hurting me because whenever I did that, they got worse. It just encouraged them. So, you know, for example, one of their favourite things to do it happened every day was we'd be walking down very narrow corridors at the change of classes. And you'd be walking down and be really busy, packed with, with kids moving from one place to the other. And someone would kick me in the back of the knees to make me go down on the floor and then kick me in the stomach or, you know, shout at me, stamp on me, whatever. And I won't repeat the kind of things they used to say to me, but I used to just get up from that and laugh and keep walking because if I didn't, it made them worse and it encouraged more people to join in. So it's almost like you've shown, shown them that you wasn't, kind of afraid yeah yeah it was and inside you're you're screaming you know you just want to run away but you have to you have to do something to cope i was offered to change schools but again there was this mentality of me to to not let them win you know why should i have to go further afield to go to school you know it wasn't going to change anything it was the 90s you know the, the attitudes were less tolerant than they are now so, uh, and I, I hid behind, I, I became quite a, a big goth at the time, which scared a lot of people away, kept them at arm's distance. Um, although I was sort of top of my class, I started hanging around with really rough people that sort of acted as my bodyguards. And uh, I quite often would, would walk down corridors with two in front and two behind, um, just as a physical barrier you know and uh, they were really you know I always appreciate what they did for me because they put themselves in harm's way as well mm-hmm. to defend me um so I, yeah i think there's so many ways you can cope with this and i don't claim that they were good ways but they got me through did you did you did you ever feel like you could speak to someone about it <sighs> yeah i suppose i did I, I tried to speak to my parents about it but i think they didn't realize how serious it actually was. Um, I don't think they realized quite how intense it was. And I spoke to the school about it. Um, their response was, because it was so widespread, you know, what were they gonna do? Discipline every child in the school? You know, There was nothing they could do. It was still in the days of section 28 when um, schools were very nervous about teaching about homosexuality in any way because it was illegal and to to claim that it was equal so the school itself was very nervous i did have some contact with the social work department and one of the things i did to cope was to try and fight back a little by taking part in sort of lgbt rights kind of movements and things like youth groups and things so i had a, a social worker there that i could talk to but never anything clinical never anything never anything that focused on how i was feeling Mm. It was sort of more about the situation. Um, and I do wish that that had been present. I think if I dealt with these emotions and these feelings at the time, yeah, I could have been very different later on. I could have maybe avoided the crisis I had. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So was it a year ago, did you say? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so you're, you're kind of, you've been through your sexual abuse, the bullying, coming out. Obviously, you know, discovering your identity and then obviously now telling people that you're, you know, you're gay. Um, and then you get, you, like you say, you obviously got good grades at school. You then get this job. And then all of a sudden you have, you, you explain it as a breakdown. Kind of explain what happened. And then mm-hmm. also, if you can, maybe what you believe led to that breakdown. Sure. Yeah. It's, so I can remember the day it happened. It had all been... I, I, been lucky enough to progress really quickly in my career ended up running a division uh, in a very large company and uh, you know really doing well very respected and the product lines that I was responsible for, for we were bringing a new product to market and it wasn't doing as well as we'd expected and so there was a lot of pressure and questions being asked of me um, as to what was going on and I can remember just feeling like you know the pressure was getting more and more and more uh, over a series of months and there was nothing i could do to change the situation and i would wake up every morning just feeling close to tears because i just couldn't cope and that was the phrase that just kept coming i can't cope with this i can't deal with this because there was literally and and you know everyone has agreed that there was nothing i could actually do about it i didn't I wasn't in charge of the sales team, so I couldn't make them sell it. Um, it was just, you know, the fact that it hadn't sold as well as we thought. And I'd reached out to my boss, I'd done all sorts of things. And there was just this moment, I got an email and I can remember reading it and it was almost like a switch kind of went and the screen went blank and I was just I can't do this anymore. And I, I literally sat down on the floor and cried. And I'm not a big one for crying. And uh, at the time, I was a lot fitter than I am now. And uh, you know, I have a gym in my, my, my garage. And so I, that was what I usually did when I didn't feel good. Just go and do some exercise, burn off the frustration. And so I went to the gym and I actually bashed my knee really badly with a barbell. And so I made an appointment to see the doctor the next day because it was really giving me jip. And I went into the doctor with all intention talking about my knee and the doctor just asked me, so how are you doing? And I just burst into tears. Mm. And yeah, I, I just said to her, I'm not coping. And it was at that point that sort of the doctor sort of said, well, you're in no state to work. You know, I didn't want time off. I ended up taking about six months off in two segments. Um, and it was the weirdest, most horrible sensation. For me, I call it the darkness because it's like a dark cloud that kind of, I can feel it in the periphery and then it gets closer and closer until it just, there's nothing else. And I couldn't watch television because I couldn't concentrate. All I wanted to do was sleep. And then if I did start thinking about things, I would get so anxious that I couldn't sit still. So it was sort of flip-flopping between extreme depression and extreme anxiety and it would be like my brain would burn out with anxiety and then I'd hit depression and go backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and it took me you know a good year to get clear and that was the hardest year of my life I can genuinely say that because there's so much I had to learn about myself about how the brain works and uh, 
and just life in general. You know, there was a lot to do. So uh, mm. I have to say my work were fantastic with me and, um, you know, gave me all the time I needed. Um, I got my therapist through my life insurance and things like that. So, you know, I have to be th- grateful to them. And, you know, I made the big decision at the time last year to shut my own personal business down as well because I was in no place to be coaching people. So um, I went back to work at the start of this year and restarted the business as well. And I genuinely feel stronger now, happier now than I ever have. So although it was a very dark, nasty year, I would say, you know, I came out better for it. Mm. And, and I think and for it, all my traumas, I did was that. It, was, it, was it one therapist that you went to or was it a you know, combination of a few? You know, what, what kind of helped you the most to get over that? Yeah, I had four therapists over the course of a year and each of them helped me in a different way. Um, had a really good mental health nurse who kind of took me through the CBT side of things and, the, you know, sort of dealing with it in a very mechanical way. When I first had my crisis, I had a, a counsellor who helped me to see that what I was worrying about wasn't my fault and wasn't something I needed to worry about. And then I had a few therapists that I went to because the NHS one was only available, the nurse was only available for a short amount of time. I needed to go back to private uh, therapy. And two that I went to that just were not a good fit. You know, I wasn't, they, they ran it from their house. I wasn't comfortable in the environment. Um, you know, the, the, there was even one, you know, that the, the house was dirty and it smelled and, mm. you know, it's just not comfortable environment. So I was lucky enough then to be referred to, again, through my health, health insurance, um, one at Nuffield Health um, as part of their wellness program. They also do therapists as well as things like physiotherapy and things. So and um, when I met her, you know, and, and she'd come, as I say, from a clinical background, um, it was it was a good click, both of personality and of qualification. Mm. So I, w- I was lucky, but I do think you have to you have to keep trying to yeah. find the right person for you. I know I you've had experience with that. Yeah, and you know that's the re- you know the number one question I think I've been asked in the last month is just I've tried this, it's not working. Um, you know, or they'll go to, let's say, the doctor. The doctor will tell them to wait for the counsellor. The counsellor, you'll have a counselling session six weeks after or eight weeks after, and then you're not a fit. And it's kind of then a time that people give up. But, you know, like you said, I went to the doctors. I went, you know, I had two counsellors, I think it was. And the one that helped me was she had no real qualifications. You know, she, she was just... She calls herself. She do. I think a holistic course one weekend, and then she started mm-hmm. just trying to help people and took donations for it. So as you said, I think it's just you know keep trying and keep trying. And, and I always say I almost became like an ex, a scientist. You, you probably can relate to this, where <laughs> yeah. I became like this project, and for me to get better, I had to try as much as I could. Um, but just going back to your kind of diagnosis and. You know, when you had that breakdown, do you feel like any of it was down to maybe a lack of control? Because obviously, you know, from the sexual, you know, abuse to the bullying to then this this work becoming out of your control, all of those three traumas in a way were something that you couldn't control. Have you is yeah. that something that maybe you've dug into a little bit deeper? Oh, definitely, yeah. So there there were two main issues that I didn't realise I was struggling with, and and that last 
lack of control was one of them. Um, I'd become, to cope with particularly my teenage years, I'd become quite an OCD style control freak. Um, you know, right until I came to uni, you know, and until I let it go at that point when I felt safe. And my best friend used to hate going to the pub with me or, you know, going for a night out because we I'd have a schedule for the pub crawl. Mm. You know, we're going to this pub for three drinks and then we're moving on to that pub for another <laughs> two drinks. And then we're, you know, and at 11.59, <laughs> she'll get a taxi at this taxi rank to go home because that's how I cope. You'd be a good, you'd so, be a good, um, a good best man there, right? You could make oh, it. there you go, yeah. I could organize a, a, a good stag too. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> So yeah, definitely control. Definitely was was a big issue. I had to feel in control because it was the only way I could ensure I was safe. Yeah. And the other piece was feeling trapped, and that sort of related back to you know the my, my sexual abuse as a very small child, but also being in a situation that I couldn't escape from. So for example, having to go to school every day, you know, despite what that meant. Yeah, in terms knowing of exactly what was going to happen in that day. So it. it and and to some degree, one that the work situation triggered me in that as well because because I'd reached such a senior level, I had a very long notice period, so three months, and I had a six month non compete clause, which meant that effectively for nine months after I quit, I wouldn't be able to get another job in the same industry. And it's a very niche industry that I work in in life sciences, so it was I felt trapped because I didn't feel like I could walk away from the job because I needed to earn the money to pay the bills. So it was trying to get around that mindset and you know, working through you know, that some things aren't in your control, but that doesn't mean you're trapped. Mm. And controlling the things you can and accepting the things you can't. I know it sounds very cliche, but you know, it, it was a big process and having to recognize you know, that those were some of the triggers um, that were, were causing me such distress and, and understanding why was was a huge step forward yeah I can totally relate I think for me similar to what you were saying it's that whole journey of self-awareness and just mm. asking yourself the questions of, of why you know for me it was why did my dad take his own life and then it was why am I feeling this way why am I reacting to this situation in this way and you know the kind of deeper you go and and, and it's, it's probably one of the scariest things I've ever done and probably what you've ever done is asking these questions yeah. But yeah. did that just come naturally to you? Or is there any process that you went through? Was it the talking therapy? Yeah, very much the talking therapy. And I needed someone else to push me. Mm. Uh, you know, and um, although I do it with my own coaching clients, you know, I ask the five whys. You tend, to, you tend to have to ask people why five times before you get to the real reason. Yeah, yeah. And I needed someone to do that with me because I wasn't doing it myself. It's, it's, such a, it's, it's such a good thing because I remember when I used to, I did a little bit of style coaching, so helping people mm -hmm. with how they dressed that came off the back of the magazine. And for me, it was always, why do you want to dress better? You know, I want to look good. And it's like, but why do you want to look good? Oh, you know, I want to impress people. Why do you want to impress people? And then it goes down to the point that maybe they were bullied at, you know, at school or that they had no low self-esteem because their parents brought them up it was always like a deeper reason why so like you said asking those questions um so it was talking therapy and Very much, yeah. what about books are you because for me i know as well it was great talking to Anne, the lady who helped me and then you know she'd go and give me a book and she'd go, explore this so i'd read this book it wouldn't make sense to me probably for a couple of weeks and then something would happen and then that book would remind me and books help me kind of dig deeper as well 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, there were quite a few that were recommended. Now, some of them I'd already read, so it was a matter of, you know, rereading them and just yeah. trying to think of them differently. But for me, it was actually writing that I found, you know, the, the biggest thing. I know you, you do your, your journaling, yeah. and, you know, I, I took a slightly different stance on it that I needed to, to face these traumas, so I had to write about them. And then sort of I wrote letters to myself as well to uh, to try and relate to that sort of talk to myself and give myself advice and give myself some compassion because I'm quite hard on myself as a person you know it's it's great in some ways because it's what drives me to to yeah, do yeah. things but you know it also can be very difficult when you're trying to deal with things that are not necessarily your fault yeah so writing was a huge therapy for me I love that idea as well of writing a letter to yourself because you know a lot of people give great advice but then when mm -hmm. it's you know themselves in that situation they they struggle to deal with it so that's why i always say you know as you've said journaling for me works well because when it's in my mind it's very hard to kind of comprehend it but once it's written down on a piece of paper it's almost like not my issue anymore it's someone else's yeah. so then you can kind of definitely work out solutions so let's talk about the leo now kind of where, where are you at right now in terms of how you feel you know recovery what you're up to are you in a good place I'm in a really good place at the moment, and that's not to say every day is easy. Um, you know, last week, for example, was horrific. You know, I had a, a really bad week last week, but I've got a lot better identifying what are my triggers and just understanding, okay, I'm really tired this week. That's why I'm feeling this way is really helpful to me. But in general, you know, I've made some changes to the way I, I work, and I've changed my focus. I understand myself a lot better and have kind of stopped the, the, the need for perfection, for example, which was a huge, you know, pressure that I was putting mm. on myself. So, you know, I've, I feel really, really good. As I mm. say, I feel stronger than I have in a long time. Not every day necessarily, and I'm still in a recovery journey. Um, I've put on a lot of weight since then, you know, I've lost my six pack, I've lost, you know, I, I kind of feel like I lost who I was. Yeah. Um, so I've still got that to do, um, but I'm focusing this year on just getting my mental health yeah. back up and um, and sort of trying to live a bit more in line with my own values. It's it's ironic, it's what I tell all my, my coaching clients to do, yeah. you know, is, is to, you know, to make sure your life's in line with your values, but I wasn't doing it myself. So it's about trying to get that in place this year, and then next year I'm gonna tackle the, the big W again. <laughs> it's kind of, I've said it to you before, and I, you know, I've said it to other people as well, is just your whole story of just, you know, the trauma, what you've overcame, those down days, you know, compare it to those times that you've overcome and the amount of stuff that you've had to face, the adversity that you've came through that's made you a, a stronger person. You know, any any down days, reflect back and think how far have you came to get to the point that you're at today. And like you say, a lot of people that have been through mental health problems or that have been through adversity, um, you know, always come out stronger if they, you know, get the recovery that they need, the help that they need. And mm. I always, I strongly believe that sometimes it can be a blessing if we look at it in a way of, of the recovery long-term and what we can. You know, some of the most creative, successful people all suffer with mental health. Um, yeah. And it really is about sort of overcoming it and being patient, I think. Because like you say, it's a recovery. It's, you're always gonna have down days, it's gonna be up days, 
Totally, totally. I think patience is also my problem. I'm I'm the least patient person on the planet. <laughs> I was, uh, which again is great. About a year ago, yeah. and now I'm super patient, too patient. Well, now. you've got kids, so it's going to be patient now. So you know, you've no choice. Yeah. Um, so just quickly, I want you to kind of throughout everything that you've been through, where you're at right now, kind of what advice can you give to someone? I want to I want to ask for two pieces of advice. One, if someone's struggling right now, maybe you know blocking things out that have happened to them what advice would you give to them and two identity because you know coming out admitting that you're gay and to your family and I know obviously that would be hard and also in the place that you grew up when no one else was um, someone who wants to find a little bit more identity and be more true to themselves what advice would you give Ooh, big questions so um, let's start with the first one first um, Oh, so someone is going through the dark times, you know, right now, or has is reliving them, you know, trying to deal with them. The best advice I can give is find the right person to talk to, but don't try and do it on your own. And whether that be your your doctor, whether it be a friend you trust, but ideally someone completely independent, someone who doesn't know you necessarily and can maybe spot the things that you're trying to to hide whether willingly or not and mm. um, you know whether it be you know a holistic practitioner that you, know, that you work with or a counselor therapist that I work with or or just you know someone that on online even yeah. you know someone to chat to and um, you know I get great benefit from being part of, of your group Paul you know and, and it's just about finding that that right medium yeah. for you to, to talk about and failing that right you know it doesn't have to be good english or whatever language you're speaking you know just write something and get it out of your head because it's less impactful when it's outside of your brain yeah. and it's in perspective um identity oh well, how can i do this without quoting uh, so many songs you Don't know worry, quote can... the songs as long as they're good songs <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to sing I am what I am then, <laughs> but uh, I think it is a process and we're all human beings I think that's the first thing to say I, there's a, a the gayest phrase in the world but uh, RuPaul has a great uh, saying that's um, we're all born naked and the rest is drag so you know it is so true you know whatever your expression is whatever it is that you're trying to identify as doesn't matter because we're all ultimately the same but also don't try and fit into a particular box just be yourself and um, it's easy to fit into a box and decide right and i've done it you know I, i'm a goth you know and that gives me an identity and a community but there's no need to do that especially now i think people are much more accepting of uniqueness mm. and i think actually a lot of people strive to be unique so don't be ashamed of whatever it is you are you know, even if it's just you know playing normal in inverted commas whatever that is be mm. proud of it um, and be prepared for it to change i think that's been the hardest bit for me is who i am has changed over time you know how i express myself has changed over time and sometimes that can be really difficult you know losing my hair was a bit of a, a trauma it's not something yeah. you've had to go you can borrow some uh, of this oh yeah go for it send, send me some of the post <laughs> Although I don't think blonde's my colour. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it will change. And I think you've got to learn to, another RuPaulism, you know, if, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anyone else? You know, so start there. And I think, like you say, like you said, it's a journey, isn't it? You know, 
you you have this identity that then changes as time goes on yeah um but going back to just that we're all humans that's just one thing that i now abide by is just you know we're all the same in a way we're all from you know we're all humans we all feel the same even though we don't look the same we all feel the same and for me worrying what people think of me was the biggest holdback in business in just mental well-being and just mm. it's a huge weight lifted off your shoulders when you can actually be yourself without feeling like you have to fit into you know other people's opinions of you yeah um, you, you must have been through that journey particularly as you changed from the style sort of blog exactly, over to you know, health. You know, get married and then becoming a dad. They're all parts of the journey that your identity completely changes. Um, and yeah, it's it's a huge weight lifted off anyone's shoulders. So Leo, thank you for speaking your strength. I've, I really do appreciate it. It's an amazing story. Thanks. And I'm sure that hopefully this is going to, you know, inspire others that might want to reach out to you as well. So if they do want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Probably the easiest way to reach out is on Facebook um, through our uh, coaching page, Triple H Coaching, or one word. Um, I'll send you the link and uh, put it in the comments. But uh, that's probably the easiest way to reach me. Um, or if you prefer email, um, you can email me at info at triplehcoaching.com. Amazing. Thanks again, Leo. I really appreciate your time and your honesty. And hopefully Thanks. this helps others. Have a great day. Speak Thanks soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. So wow, what an amazing story and what amazing strength from Leo as well. This is what this podcast is all about. It's about people coming onto the show, going to those dark times, reliving some really hard moments, but speaking them, sharing their story, sharing their strength, but more importantly as well, talking about the recovery, how they are right now, what got them through it to show you, hopefully, if you're listening to this, that there is a chance for you to recover. There's a chance for you to get better and hopefully there's a chance for you to continue to speak your strength as well. Once again, a huge thank you to Leo and also as well, a huge thank you to you. If you've listened to this podcast episode all the way up until now, I truly, truly appreciate you listening. I would love for you to leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you can. That's going to help me put out more and more episodes like this and also get this scene, the dogs barking, typical, get this heard by more and more people. But I really, really, truly appreciate you. I'd love a rating and a review, of course. One star if you hated it, five stars if you loved it. Thanks again to Leo and I'll see you all in another episode very, very soon.